0: You are listening to the Women of Wonder podcast, where we want to see Sister soar. We hope that you are inspired by this message. I am really excited of talking about exactly this title, Women of Uncertainty. So when I remember talking with Manny about what the topic was and also the wonderful series that WOW has, um, one of the things that I kept discerning a lot was, what if, you know, so this is my big what if um, for myself and something I feel like the big question as I journey with God, you know, what if engaging with different women of the Bible as a mentor, but also using the theme of uncertainty, which I believe is a, is a theme that we're all going through and have gone through and may continue to go through, you know, um, because of just last year, you know, we have a global pandemic pandemic. And also being honest as well you know we've had as well racist pandemic happening um till this day so so yeah so here that's kind of how it birthed forth of this title women of uncertainty so let's start with that in itself what is uncertainty so I started looking it up in Merriam-Webster dictionary and uncertainty is the lack of sureness about someone or something may range from falling short of certainty to an almost complete lack of conviction or knowledge, especially about an outcome or result. So I love these pictures because it shows that, right? Sometimes we face uncertainty in decisions we need to make. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram, which is a really great personality test, which sends our strengths, but also things we need to work on. For me, I'm an Enneagram type six, and that means for me that one of the things as a loyalist, I always am thinking about worst case scenarios. So I can relate to that first picture in the yellow of, OK, if I make this decision, then it makes, goes to the next and then to the next and then to the next. That is kind of me. And then you have another the other picture there, you know, of a woman and just having just, you know, a lot of turmoil and just her thinking. And uncertainty is actually exactly like the stack of papers of not knowing what's next, and us having a question mark of what do we do so definitely that I wanted to us to just have that groundwork and stuff and in order to to say why why these three women that we're going to engage in I do want to mention a little snippet of my story I won't I will keep it really short because I think also Manny mentioned it in my bio but you know one of the things for sure I started off as a little girl, as you can see there. So I'm the little one there in the first picture with the mariachis. Um, My mom, it has the mariachi hat in the white and I'm the one um, on the red. And I think I have like a little toy there. So we're actually here in Mexico, um, DC and there a long time ago back in, I would say September of 1991. So my journey starts there a lot. And the reason I'm saying this is it's part of my story. I didn't know the many things i know right now that my mom did a lot of decisions for for us to cross the border from mexico to united states to be where i'm at right now and today but here's one of the fun moments that we had and actually were with the whole menacee band i personally had no idea what the heck was happening or going on that day but yeah we had fun that night for sure and here's a picture of it so then another part of myself, as um I also know Manny mentioned for sure, is yes, I'm a licensed clergy with the Evangelical Covenant Church. I am a church planting pastor um, of Reconciled Brooklyn. Um so I recently um, transitioned from discipleship pastor to executive pastor. So I'm overseeing more the leadership development and also strategic planning. So I'm always as well thinking, what about the next for us? And like Manny mentioned. Long and behold, you know, I just got married on October 2nd of this year, you know, to Joshua Pearson, who now is now Joshua Silencio um, and is seeking my name. And that has been a journey itself. So as I said, you know, one of the reasons why I want to explain my journey is because this journey is simultaneous with the women that have spoken to me. The way I look at all of these biblical women we're going to engage in are like my mentors of people that I can just sit down and learn from. And I have to say, yes, you know, I definitely needed it for sure in the journey that I'm in right now. Um, and also have been, you know, even before marriage of just being single and living out loud and, um, and just purpose driven to what God was calling me and knowing that I was enough and I still am enough um, as a single person and continue carrying it now in my season. The reason I say this, I'll tell you a one-liner testimony of my husband. So my husband's story, um, he is a Jersey boy. Um, and funny enough, he has a past, you know, he calls calls it himself, of just having that redemption story of racial reconciliation, of being part of, unfortunately, the groups, like he calls it, the cult of white supremacy. Um, and God changed his heart in just many different ways, shapes, and forms to see of calling things out that are not of price. And I'm glad for his journey and knowing his story and also his family's story because never would I have imagined it as a first-generation Latina who is undocumented as a DACA recipient and dreamer to have been with someone who is completely different from me and has this background of a story, right? Um, So this is all part of me. And this is one of the reasons why, yes, in all the different levels here as, My, you know, my youth, I have had, you know, times of uncertainty of what does that look like to have a story that is not even understood by myself at times and having to know more of myself as they engage the risk of even being here in this country, um, whether or not being deported. Um, and then also engaging in licensure, and then now um, being a pastor, you know, and still seeing at times the issues of faith and justice being at odds in many different um, contexts. And here lo and long behold, you know, as my next step, you know, of, um, of yes, engaging personally as a wife and becoming what God is asking me to become, not what I've seen. And at times that hasn't been that great, you know. So, all of this is one of the reasons why on these different women. So one of the first women that I want to introduce to you, like I said, I'm gonna introduce them as kind of mentors that have been for me and I continue learning from them. The first one is Abigail. So this is a small snippet of her story in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 14 to 19. And I will read it for us. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David, David's messengers from the wilderness to give... Oh, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sias of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Now, this is really interesting. So for those of us, you know, whether or not we can have engaged with Abigail's story, small context here, David, I put here, AKA Goliath, right? David and Goliath back in that story, he was young, you know, said, you know, the presence of the Lord is with me. Has some stones hit Goliath and you know and had that victory and also we know as well um, he is the future anointed king, King David, is being sought out by Saul to be killed and David is fleeing for his life and comes across the sheepfold of Nabal and David's, fused, David's servants are refused by Nabal. So this is the context that's happening. So imagine that. And mind you, it does say in the word like before the verses that we are just read that David was in the desert with his men. And he had around that time about is was getting ready with 400 men and he left 200 men at side. So in total, he had like 600 men in, in a way to fight against anyone that's coming across them. You know, so imagine this. And one of the things I love about engaging in God's word and in his story that he has with different women, because that is part of God's heart for us too. And seeing these different women that are portrayed in these scenarios is Abigail. You know, she has this um, husband, Nabal, and which I think for sure is called the fool in Hebrew. And she's hearing from her servants that he went ahead and rejected them. What can she do now? Going back to the context again, you know, this also is back in Jewish traditions. In Jewish traditions, as a woman, she can't really, she shouldn't have spoken in a sense of like going and taking action quickly. And it says there, the very last verse we read, she did not consult her husband. That's a big no no for the Jewish people, where all of the laws, you know, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus will say. Most of the actions that attributed to women are always, you know, come together with the actions, you know, of, you know, being a wife and all of that. But her, in her like uncertainty here, is taking action for her household, you know? And I think that's really, really awesome to kind of think in that way in her shoes and portrayal, which is some questions I had as putting myself here, as I said. Um, as Abigail's mentoring me and also understanding her context and hearing it through her ears in context of Hebrew tradition, Judaic tradition, her as a female side by side by me, you know, I wonder, will she respond quickly, right? And if so, will she do the protocol of consulting her husband before a decision for their household, which includes her servants? Will she be received by David who was furious? I wonder that, you know, sometimes we also have those same uncertainties of how do we take action? And I think I love this from Abigail because she was beyond that, which was the culture, which was the norm. She took action because it needed. And it says there, the servant said there in in the passage we just read, disaster is going to come upon your household. So she had to take a certain action in this way because of the uncertainty of what's gonna become of her household, what's gonna become of her servants who are innocent bystanders of her husband just not wanting at all to recognize that David actually was helping and his men were helping in just caring for his sheep, for his sheep that was right around there. Um, So yeah, so that's one thing, too, that I really want to address is just, yeah, exactly that. So Abigail, if we put ourselves in her shoes, in her culture, and in her being, you know, for her to have taken that initiative and action for her household is honestly beyond her traditions, and beyond um, any sort of expectation, I think, anyone would have expected but thankfully it seems to me for the servants to have gone to her she must have been that voice for them and she they knew and they even say it like of um again in the verses you know um that we just read they kind of emphasized that um I would say just hurriedness but then also of saying you know hey your husband he's a wicked man you know no one can talk to him so it's as if they're having this closeness and also trust to her Um, and I think that's so so much the story of us as women and a part of God's heart is God entrusts so much different obligations different hats and sometimes we will have to go against certain protocols and status quo or even cultural norms that are attributed to us as women. And I believe Abigail, with her taking action quickly, shows us that sometimes in moments of uncertainty, especially when it comes to communal and household, sometimes we just need to act. And yeah, later on in the story, if you read even more of 1 Samuel 25, because of her action and the way she does it, which is a beautiful, beautiful way she does it with so much humility in going to David and then reminding David of who he was and prophetically even saying, hey, you're the anointed one. God is going to make you the king. It's just marvelous. So that's one woman I introduced to you. As a woman who faced that uncertainty, what action do I take next to my household and how we can learn from her in that way that, yes, sometimes we need to go um, beyond that at which at times we were taught, um, but also trusting in God, that God is for us and he reminds us on how to place the words that we need to say or the actions we need to take next, because that's exactly Abigail's story if you read more beyond the passage I just mentioned. Um, But yes, so that's my first, um, I would say, woman mentor um, of the Bible. I would like to introduce Abigail. The next one um, I also would like to mention is the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. So her story, of course, is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And the reason I have both ways she's referred to, even though we're only actually looking to the scripture in Matthew right now, is for the mere reason that I um, actually discovered this. I didn't know this, but um, Syrophoenician um, definitely is you know, descended from canon, Canaanite and stuff. So that's one of the reasons why Matthew, who his audience is more the Jewish people, he mentions as a Canaanite woman, Versus Mark, who we know um, was more of a Gentile, John Mark, who wrote the gospel, um, mentions more of a broad, more of a a Greek way um, and uh, a non-Jewish way of referring to the woman. But it still was the same woman in the same story. And I thought that was really interesting because I think it also relates a lot to us, right? Where I know for me, I can relate in saying, yes, I am a Latina, you know, yes, I am Afro-Peruvian, you know, from my my heritage, but yet in itself, that still makes me me, right? So I thought that was really awesome in seeing this from, just from initially from her story, the Syrophoenician slash Canaanite woman. Um, And let us read it. And this is from the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place... Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. So, giving some context of um, just the story we read a little bit more, Jesus, you know, was withdrawing to Tyre and Sidon, and the Canaanite woman called out to him. His disciples wanted her to be sent away by Jesus. He keeps silent, and she does not. This is exactly what we just read in just a certain summarized context. So what is her uncertainty that we can kind of understand and relate to as well? And she can actually also stand as a woman side by side with us and mentoring us. And it's responding to silence and rejection. I don't know about you ladies, but I'm going to keep it real with you. There are times that God has been silent for me. To know and to say one of the reasons why I said my story is for the past, I would say um, since I was 16, I'm I'm 34 um, right now, was my awareness of my own context of what it looks like to be undocumented in, thankfully in New York City, in a sanctuary city. But I will say that for me to still have that justice factor of Jesus being my warrior completely with the just really lack of reform right now for immigration, God has been silent for that big, big one, big request. And there's times, yes, I have suffered rejection. So I can relate so much to this dear woman of, yes, of people misunderstanding and saying, go back where you came from, or not really understanding that many immigrants that come here have different stories and not all of us are what we are labeled in the news for. We all have faces. We all have just families and are navigating life just like any other person here in America. So that's one of the reasons why I also gleaned from her story of what it looked like sometimes to have that silence from God on certain petitions we have, you know, but then also understanding her context, you know? And I had these questions as I was just thinking, like, you know, side by side, my dear Syrophoenician Canaanite sister, being non-Jew, how will she be perceived calling out to Jesus? What if she is rejected? Will her daughter always be demon-possessed? If Jesus being a Jew doesn't receive her, what will she respond? And these are just questions and and many more that just came in understanding her context. And we see it very clearly, right? From the passage we just read, the disciples wanted her away. They wanted to shoo her, like, don't pay mind to her, Jesus, just just tell her to go away. Especially as well in back in um, Jesus' times, where we see Jesus at times always correcting, unfortunately, his own because of just seeing that as well, isolation, but yet Jesus himself is addressing this woman, and he is silent. And to me, that also made me understand that times, you know, God is silent, but there's always more to the silence sometimes than the response. And I love that in what I see with our dear sister here. I'm um, going back to the passage. I have to say, for her to have went ahead and respond back because we don't know right how close she was to hearing what the disciples said about her right send her away she keeps crying out after us right and then him Jesus being silent and then answering I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel I'm not sure how I would take that personally but yet this dear sister of mine is showing me which is she went ahead and she humbled herself and still saying help And then again, Jesus is kind of rebuttaling her, right? And saying, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And then she says, she affirms that. And then she even adds, but yet, right? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So in all of this, mind you, she is aware, most likely in knowing because of course, in the different towns that Jesus always is in, in different regions, it always is here. And I would say kind of like today's times, right? I'm pretty sure, you know, Jesus, of course, did not have Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook, but people knew how to get news by, especially news about miracles, right? And things like that. Because so I can't imagine her knowing this Jesus that's coming to her area and knowing that maybe hearing these miracles around her Maybe just maybe if I just talk to him and I can get that salvation for my daughter and that healing for her, that would be great. That would be hopefully that's possible. Right. But yet yeah, here Jesus is rebuttling her and she has the courage to continue standing in humility. And that brings a lot of me as well of just what does it look like to stand in that uncertainty of silence and rejection? And this dear sister of mine, Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, is mentoring me and saying that at times, what do you do with silence and rejection? You keep pressing in. You keep going ahead and talking back and saying, because you know the value and your faith, right, and stuff. And we can see this. Mind you, like I said, most likely her background, just by the title in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels. She may have awareness of God, but we don't know if she knew God in that context. But yet in her wrestle and in in all of this, there's only very few women that Jesus says, you have great faith and she is one of them. And I think that's one thing I can't wait to say that I, I have so learned so much from my Syrophoenician sister here. Continue standing, continue going ahead and, and knocking on certain doors and continue asking beyond, beyond the silence at times that we receive or even the rejection, because there's a reason and there's a way, and God is building something. And I think this is one of the reasons why I believe the silence and the rebuttal, because God, God is a God of love. There's a reason, something there was being said, and also for us to see and taste the courage of this wonderful woman um, to continue having faith and having this humble stance, right? And asking Jesus, even if, right, she may not be, quote unquote, the ideal woman to come to Jesus, right? Which most likely in disciples' eyes are most likely a Jewish woman, Knowing the context back in the days in the Gospels, there are certain things that disciples need to be discipled, if that makes sense. And it's so awesome how Jesus models that. But then also it's a wrestle too, because I know there's times we wrestle with God in that way, with his silence or certain rejections we face, or the silence and rejections we may face from the people of God. And I think here is that, I think, ask God has with this story is will we stand like our Syrophoenician sister and going to pressing against the silence and rejection that at times we'll receive. So here's my dear other sister, Sarah Phoenician Canada woman, that we can lean to in our moments of uncertainty in silence and rejection. So my last, last woman that I would like to introduce you ladies to is I have named her the captive little maid, as I was just kind of gleaning on her story in second Kings chapter five, in just different translations. And I just love kind of this name of it for the mere reason of our context. But let me read the story for us right now. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me? And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So I want to give us context of our our dear sister here, who I've named captive little maid intentionally. So Naaman, commander of the army of Aram, has leprosy. A band of raiders from Aram had taken captives from Israel. A captive little young girl was made the maid of Naaman's wife. The captive little maid had the solution for Naaman's leprosy. The captive little maid, her uncertainty here is, should she or should she not speak life in captivity? You see, one of the things that as I was leaning toward this dear sister and this dear young sister, because it is said in the word in different translations and commentaries that she was young. And when they say young, most likely she was um, in her either early teens or even before that, before puberty. So she was little. She was a young girl. And guess what? She was taken captive away from her family. She most likely saw the Raiders taking from friends in Israel. And then she was placed in Naaman's family to be the maid of his wife. Imagine that. Imagine being this young little sister that is held captive, is now in an unknown place with unknown people. She has no idea what their faith are and is hearing that the commander of the army that has ransacked her people is having this ailment of leprosy. Will she or will she not give that source of healing? And these are some questions as I I just lean toward this dear sister of ours to go ahead and just mentor me, but also questions I wondered about her story. Will she say the solution for her oppressor's healing? What if the prophet of Israel, Elisha, doesn't respond? What if Naaman doesn't believe Elisha? What will happen if her solution was insufficient? So going back to the scripture, one thing to note is that without her saying what she did in verse three, if only my master will see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Never would there have been any story of healing, but yet somehow, some way she had compassion over her captor, her oppressor of her people, to even say the possible solution of her people, which is not her knowing Elisha the prophet is anointed and can heal and can restore. But also, I'm pretty sure she didn't know the consequences of her saying this, which is seen in the verses afterwards of the king of Haram sending a letter to the king of Israel and the king of Israel saying, How in the heck am I supposed to do this? Right? The healing, because that's what he thought. It was being, you know, going ahead and being requested. And mind you, they're at odds, right? Israel and the ram. So, two kingdoms were at odds over this healing story because a young captive little maid, a young sister of ours, used her voice and her card of compassion for the healing of an enemy of her people. Isn't that insane to learn from our sister in that way? But also seeing that this small decision of her speaking out loud is also even causing this chaos between two kings, two kingdoms. But yet it's because of her act of compassion, of knowing of someone with such a crazy ailment back in, in those days, right? Of leprosy which we know in Jewish tradition in the book of the law in which is both seen in Leviticus and Deuteronomy anyone who had any sort of skin disease such as leprosy they were excommunicated and i'm pretty sure her in her background especially if she's from israel she understood that but greater was her compassion for her captor than actually her acknowledging or even thinking through that this commander will continue commanding his armies against her people. To me, that is insane, of learning this from my young little sister, the captive little maid in 2 Kings um, chapter 5. And I'm so grateful for all these three amazing women that we have just shared and I've just shared with you. Because I know for me, especially the, the captive little maid, this dear young sister, I share a lot with her story. Because what does that look like at times, I know for me, I can relate, of having certain captivity in my own mindset, or I know in his struggles for sure, you know, even though, yes, I know God has placed me in certain spaces and places to speak out my story, to bridge faith and justice. But let me just say, I face at times of feeling that I'm not enough. I face at times imposter syndrome. And thinking of all of these captivities because of the captivity in itself, of the lack of compassion on certain laws and interpretations as well, of bad theology as well, of seeing that, you know what, the Lord God asks us to love and beyond our all things, but also love our neighbor as ourself. Because unfortunately, that's the season we're in right now. There is a lack of compassion for our neighbor. And even to this extent that this dear young sister is showing to me, there's a lack of compassion even for those that are held captive, are holding us captive. Or we have certain ideologies that are filled with captivity. And I have to say, I still wrestle with it because I'm like, darn it, dear sister, man, now I have to show more compassion. And it's true, you know, it's it's a great endeavor and it's a great challenge I think God has for us today and for me completely as well, which is what would it look like for me to show compassion for that? Who may be saying, yes, go back to where you came from. You should be deported. You have no value here. What would that look like for me to extend that compassion? Or as well for those that just don't understand that certain ideologies or theologies are meant to harm instead of to bless are going away from the mago day which is the image of god that all of us have in the beauty of our ethnic experiences in the beauty of our cultures of who we should be as women, but then also our cultures and our ethnic experience, which are so beautiful, right? Hence the wonderful story of the book of Acts in chapter three. There's a reason why there was so many different tongues and so much diversity, apart from the amazing thing of having the Holy Spirit is because God, God is a God of diversity. And I think for me, this is my greatest challenge of uncertainty is What does it look like to have a compassion for those who may have these different understandings? And I think one of the things that I'm learning a lot from this, your sister, is that, yeah, some people just are told to do certain things, have some sort of backgrounds that are different from ours, right? And it's great to listen, but yet also know what is our limits? Because I don't believe in that. If certain things are triggering and are traumatizing, no, embrace your limits. Don't, don't engage with that because I know for me, I wasn't able to engage with my story of bridging with faith and justice until I had to heal with God's help and community, my crusty heart against my dear brothers and sisters who are white. But I thank God that I had community that helped me go beyond my captivity of my mind, but then also beyond the captivity communally of thinking that all of us, who have wonderful different diverse stories and ethnic backgrounds are beautiful. We're the image of God and we are the neighbor that we should be loved and are worthy of love. So I think for me, like I said, my dear sister here is still teaching me because one of the reasons I mentioned my story so transparently is that's gonna be one of my greatest, let's say wrestles as I know that my husband's family still have certain contexts in that way of anti-immigrant and anti-abortion and many things in that way. But yet, I am challenged by my dear little sister of the captive little maid, of knowing that God is going to ask for that heart of compassion to listen in, but also to embrace my limits in the community that I can, and the safety to continue forward. So one of the things I wanted to definitely bridge us all into this is the Ezer Genegdo. I know this is a series we have for a while, and I have to say, it's such a beautiful series. Um, and I started looking it up a little bit more. Where did the Genego originate from? And it's from the book of Genesis, where the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make an Azer Genego for him. Now, I really love this commentary from a dear sister who absolutely, I recommend all her works, Megazowsko which she says about the Ezerkenego. In Genesis 2, 18 to 20, God speaks and says that he will provide an Ezerkenego for the solitary human he has created. This Ezerkenego will provide a level of companionship that the animals are incapable of and that she will alleviate humans' unsatisfactory, not good solitude. All these three amazing, beautiful women that we have just learned, for, learned from, as I call them, my dear mentors, my dear sisters, Abigail, our dear Syrophoenician woman, and our captive little maid, young girl. All of them are exactly that amazing powerhouse and God's story that shows us what it looks like to be an Azer and a warrior Azer in different ways and contexts. For example, to sum it up, Abigail, she was quick with it and absolutely out of her time to go ahead and respond for the uncertainty of her household. The Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, she had faith beyond rejection. And I would dare say beyond the silence as well, as I also mentioned in her story with Jesus. And last but not least, the captive little maid had compassion for the other, which goes and transcends all times even to such a time that we are living in. So yeah, dear sisters, this is the word I had for you ladies, which is me just introducing you all to my three dear mentors of Abigail, the Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, and the captive little maid. And them just showing their Ezra Beginedo in these ways of addressing uncertainties in different ways, shapes, and forms that we can learn. But also one thing that's beautiful is all of them, are from different backgrounds, right? Abigail being Jewish, Syrophoenician, Canaanite woman being a Gentile, and also the young captive girl being a Jewish, but also Jewish in captivity, which is completely different. But they teach us that if we have a God who helps us in our uncertainty. He is not a black and white God. He is an either or, right? Which means that there are times that we're going to be called to be like Abigail and quick witted out of our time, certain protocols and status quo. There are times God may call us as well to have faith and to continue pressing on and being a voice beyond the silence of God or even beyond the rejection we may face. And there are going to be times too that God is going to ask us to have compassion for that, which at times do not understand us and our stories based on their own captivity as well. That is something I leave you with. We hope that you enjoyed this teaching. We are a community that walks alongside women to uncover and affirm their calling through prayer, teaching, and celebration. Visit womenofwonder.us to learn more.